uh, we're going to do something a bit different. So we're going to take an opportunity to uh, try something new this morning. Uh, given all the things that have been going on this week, uh, we've opted for the teaching portion of this uh, of this service to make it a little more interactive. Um, it's going to be a little bit different, uh, but I wanted to explain the format to you this morning. So. If you're watching online, uh, Facebook or YouTube, uh, you may be able to do this on the website, I'm not sure. Um, but there's ways for you to interact. Um, and so I'm going to be asking you at the outset of this message to post comments or questions that you might uh, come to mind as, as you hear the teaching this morning. Now for the teaching, what we've done is we've gone back to 2019, uh, September 2019, for a night service. Uh, and I, was, I had the privilege of preaching from Revelation chapter 12. The title of that sermon was Signs of Cosmic Conflict. And uh, that, I thought, was a great message uh, that, that might relate to a lot of what's going on today. So we're going to, in terms of the format this morning, we've, we've taken that message and we've chopped it into uh, six little bits. Uh, and at various points, sort of at the beginning, the middle, and the end, I'm going to come back and just interact with you around that. Um, and hopefully if, if you've made comments or questions, you can put those through and we might interact live about those things. So, uh, we're going to watch a message from a couple years ago. Now, I don't know if you uh, remember what it was like in 2019, but <laughs> COVID hit, uh, 2020 and, uh, we've had two years of COVID two, two years plus of COVID. There's a, there's a global conflict going on right now. Uh, there's floods, there's all sorts of groaning and creation as Stephen just mentioned in his prayer. Um, there's a lot going on, and I don't know if you heard this term doom scrolling, but it's a term that I came across recently. I thought that is so true. Um, it's so easy to just scroll back and forth and back and forth uh, over the uh, over the internet. And as someone said this week, we're watching a war in Ukraine unfold on our phones. That's just a crazy concept that you're watching conflict in a device that you hold in your hand. But doom scrolling is so popular these days, is just about as popular as conspiracy theories. And there's a lot of people asking what's going on. And, uh, and Revelation chapter 12 is a great text that just puts the whole thing in heaven's perspective. And uh, I, I thought it would be timely for us just to get a sense of God's view of things. And, and perhaps some of you are struggling with the question of why is it, you know, if, if God's loving and good, why are we experiencing things the way, the way that we are? What's, what's happening here uh, in God's creation? So um, I'm not saying that that sermon is going to answer all those questions for you, but I thought it's a good starting place. And before we jump in, I just want to connect it with something that we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. So if you've been with us as we were studying the book of Hebrews, you'll remember that a lot is made in that letter about Christ's sacrifice of himself. And last week specifically, we looked at the blood of Jesus and the power that it has to cleanse us, not just externally in a formal sense, but to cleanse us on the deepest level. You may know the old hymn, there's power in the blood. Well, you'll note that there's a key link from what we've been studying in Hebrews with the text we're gonna see this morning. When we get to the part about the church prevailing, I want you to note they prevail by the blood of the lamb, the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's so instrumental to understanding what's going on in this universe uh, that God has created and that God is ruling over. So uh, we'll go into that message in just a moment. Um, again, the message is from early September 2019. It's from a night service. It's called Signs of Cosmic Conflict. And uh, it, we have edited that sermon down a bit, so there's, there's a few different uh, transition points in there. But I'm going to begin by reading the text for us. So this is Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. 
A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then... From his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river and the dragon had, that had, the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Enjoy. Uh, the question that we want to begin tonight, the big question that this text uh, is trying to answer, is along these lines. If God wants me to be a Christian, why is this so hard? <laughs> if God wants me to trust Jesus, if God wants me to, to actually uh, believe in this Messiah, why is a life of faith believing in this Messiah so difficult? Now, there's a lot of ways we can answer that question. It's difficult because of who we are, because as the Bible says, apart from God, uh, our hearts are desperately wicked. <laughs> we have hearts of flesh that uh, are perpetually, in Luther's words, curved in towards the earth. We're, we're, we're perpetually prone to look uh, into ourselves and to look to the earth, so our hearts don't really help us. We also live in a world where there's a lot of people who don't understand this God. They're not reconciled or in relationship with their creator, and they don't really grasp his values, his priorities, and they don't put them into practice. And in, in some ways, it's difficult because of the world that we live in. But the text we come before this evening gives us a cosmic view of things, a universal picture of why things are so hard. And that's because God's enemy, Satan, hates him 
and therefore hates us. The big idea tonight, uh, I wish uh, in some ways, you know, maybe you came here tonight and you thought, oh, well, maybe this would be great. You know, I'll hear a little nice message about grace and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get all the warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, maybe not what you intended, but this is the big idea that the Scripture wants us to get our heads around, is that though God's people will suffer the wrath of the serpent, they are protected by the blood of the Lamb. It's hard to be a Christian because Satan's trying to destroy you. Full stop. Your very existence as a believer in Jesus Christ is something that puts fury into the heart of God's enemy. And in some ways, in most ways, it's not even really about you at all. Because his beef is with Yahweh. His beef is with the one who was and who is and who is to come. We're going to get into that tonight, but right now I invite you to pray with me as we ask God's help and we come to his word. Father, we, we ask that your spirit would apply the word to our hearts in such a way that we would be changed. Lord, we're told that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it is able to divide even to the inmost parts of our soul, Lord, parts that we can't even seem to separate. So, Father, we just invite you to speak to us this evening from your word. Help us to understand this great conflict that we've been brought into. And may you bless and encourage us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get our heads around this text, I think it might be helpful to realize that most of us, when we come into this world, we don't come into this world thinking we're brought into conflict. We, are, we come into the world and, and, and we think that, you know, oh, I have people here who want to take care of me, most of us. Uh, we're trying to find our way in the world. We're trying to, to, to sort of make a, a life for ourselves, to make an existence for ourselves when we come into the world. But we don't really grasp that we've actually been dropped into a war zone. But nevertheless, that's the reality that we find ourselves in. It's like going to a party and you show up and you knock on the door and they say, hey, by the way, come on in. And you don't realize that the Montagues and the Capulets have been hosting this dinner party and you have people who hate each other and there's a great conflict going on. So in many ways, we need to realize this is, this is how it hits us. But nevertheless, the scripture is very clear. And as we come to chapter 12, these are some features of chapter 12 that you, you and I want to get our heads around. First of all, these are signs of cosmic war. John's phrase in verse 1 of chapter, two, or chapter 12 is, a great sign appeared in heaven. And this is key language in John. He's going to tell you a story. He's going to paint a picture for you that is meant to be symbolic or representative of something else. And so this picture is a theological explanation of what the church in Asia Minor is about to experience and what the church throughout all ages will experience. The second thing, the second feature you need to know about this is that there's a distinction between what's going on in heaven and what's going on on earth. This is important as you read the whole book of Revelation, but particularly in this chapter. There's going to be a difference between heaven and earth. Uh, prominent in this chapter is Satan's rage, Satan's anger, his wrath. And ultimately, we'll see this, however, cannot thwart the church's victory. So tonight we're going to look at this passage in three parts. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the sign in heaven, verses 1 to 6. Secondly, we're going to look at the war in heaven. And then finally, the rage on earth. So the sign in heaven, the war in heaven, and the rage on earth. 
discipline in the throes of childbirth, in great pain, about to bring son into the world. And here's the dragon standing where this baby would emerge from the woman, ready to just devour what comes out. She gives birth to a male child, the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This is a reference to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 we looked at this morning. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Because the nations have banded together against the Lord and his anointed. And they've said, let us break off their chains and throw away their shackles. But God promises at the end of Psalm 2 that his anointed will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And that's what we're told happens to this child that comes from the woman. And she is, and the child is snatched up to God and to his throne. Again, this is Jesus, no discussion of his life, his ministry, his, <laughs> even his death on the cross. That's not the point. The point is the child from the promised chosen people of God is God's anointed. He will rule. He, he does arrive. He does come. He is born of this woman. He comes from the covenant community of God's people, and he's taken up to God's throne, and he reigns from there. And so here you have this picture of the other side of things. See, we tell the, we, we tell the incarnation story every year. We tell it at Christmas. We tell the story of the cross every year at Easter. But when's the last time you heard about the victory that happened in heaven? The accuser is thrown out. <laughs> and then John hears another loud voice. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Again, <laughs> you can't put a wedge between Father and Son. You can't put a wedge between God Almighty and Jesus the Messiah. For what? For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. Salvation is here. The accuser's out of here. What was Satan doing in heaven? He was tearing you down. He was tearing down God's people. Saying, you really going to love these? You really going to redeem these? These, these? these humans? These people made of dust? These people who all I had to do was, was simply bend the truth and they were willing to sell you out? You're, gonna, you're telling me that the son is going to come to earth and redeem these ones? You're going to die for them? How could they possibly be worthy? And he would stand before God and accuse and accuse and accuse. Day and night. <laughs> but the voice says, now salvation has come. The one who is accused, he's been thrown down. And then the angel says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not lie, love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We'll come back to that because that verse is important. But look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you and he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Satan's been defeated. He's been kicked out of heaven. He's been banished from the presence of God and heaven is rejoicing and heaven is excited and, and, and there is absolute peace. There's no challenge going on in heaven whatsoever. But on earth... Satan has made his home. And woe to those who live on the earth. He is filled with fury. He knows that his time is short. So the consequences of the war in heaven are the silencing of this accuser, the silencing that comes through the blood of the Lamb, but the outcome of this that John sees is that the accuser leaves heaven and is confined to earth. All right, so we've hit about the halfway point uh, through, through our teaching this morning. And uh, one of the reasons we wanted to, to bring this message back is because it really hits to the core purpose of who we are as a church. Uh, not just WDBC, but the church, the church in general. Um, what you're hearing in Revelation 12 and what I was trying to bring out for us is something that is not readily going to be perceived by our senses. Uh, we need, as the church, to have a view of the world that matches with God's view of things. And so part of the reason we gather and we continue to remind ourselves of the apostles' teaching, to remind ourselves of the gospel, is to understand that there is power greater than us. There are things at work that are beyond us. And I just wonder if you can uh, relate to that. I mean, if, if there's been a week to, to sort of face our own limitations. I know for us, this is, this has been one of those weeks. Um, you know, you look around and you say, we're, we are really so limited as human beings in the power that we have. And I think, uh, in some ways that, that can, uh, explain, you know, maybe some of the devil's fury, some of the, some of the devil's accusation, um, uh, you know, against, against God's people that God would love us, these humans made of dust. Um, you know, this week was, was Ash Wednesday. It's, it's that reminder of sort of our origin and uh, a reminder of our um, just abject dependence upon God and his grace and his mercy. Um, but I, I, I love how this text brings out for us, Revelation 12, that this is really about God's work being opposed by the accuser. And it's about how Jesus came and through offering himself on the cross, he, uh, and then rising from the dead, he was then brought back into God's presence with the pure offering being completed. And he's now seated at God's right hand in his presence. And so really right now, you could say we're in the consolidation phase, uh, the consolidation phase of sorting out who are the enemies of Christ and who are the friends of Christ, who are the faithful and who are the unfaithful. Um, and so as a church, w w you know, Hebrews is calling us to, to persevere because look at this great thing that has happened for us. Um, but I, I want you to just take some time to, to ask yourself a few questions. You know, um, have I ever felt like I've been caught up in a conflict that's, that's bigger than me? Um, maybe you can think of a scenario in your own life where you thought, wow, this was, this was 
this is really beyond me. And it took you a little while to realize you thought, you know, all this hostility, why is it, why is it coming at me? Why, why am I being pressed into these situations? And then you realize later, oh, it's actually maybe not about me. It's about something that's, that's even bigger than me. Um, and then think about that on a, on a global human scale. Think about that on a cosmic scale. And that's, that's where we find ourselves, um, this side of the garden. Uh, but there's comfort that the accuser has been thrown out. He knows that he is lost. Uh, and, and in his losing, his aim and his objective now is simply to deceive and to destroy any, any who would follow Christ. Um, and I think when we look at the creation and we see we see creation groaning now, you know, we look at the floods and the natural disasters and the things you're you're watching the outcome of the the the, the fall and the curse um, just kind of landing on us, and we're seeing that groaning, that anticipation when things uh, will be as they should be. Well, we're going to jump into uh, the next half. Uh, when I come back at the end, we'll we'll try and uh, talk through uh, any. Um, yeah, any questions or comments that people make. So do, by all means, uh, put some comments and questions in there and we'll, hap we'll happily interact with them. But we'll jump back into the rest of the message now. Thanks. Alas, we are not in heaven. And we come back to our first question. If I am a Christian and, and, and if I put my trust in Jesus and I believe what he's done for me, why is this so hard? Well, you see, if... Satan hates the Son. How's he going to feel about the disciples of the Son? How's he going to feel about those who swear by his name? How's he going to feel about those who obey the Son and listen to the Son? You see, suddenly we become caught in the fury of the one who's been cast down. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the 19th century, sometimes couldn't get out of bed on Monday morning. Often couldn't get out of bed on Monday morning. The discouragement was that great. You read his stuff today. I was attending a church in Northern Virginia shortly after finishing university, and the preacher, a guy named uh, Michael Easley, he, one day he sort of broke off his sermon and, and he just held his Bible and he opened his Bible to the first page and he held it up to the rest of the church and he said, do you guys know what this is? And we said, no. <laughs> he said, this is a list of names of people that have fallen away from the Lord, pastors leaders of churches that have denied Christ. He says, I'm up to over 50. Folks, this is real. What do you think is gonna happen if you walked out those doors tonight and you said, you know what? I have decided I'm not gonna muck around anymore I'm going all in with Jesus. And, and, and you, you, you pushed everything you had into the middle of the table. And you said, I'm placing my bet on Jesus. 
and I'm going to give him everything I have. I'm going I'm to bear his name no matter what happens. I am going to go all in with him. God, my life is yours, as the old hymn used to say. I surrender all. You say, Jesus, I surrender all. I'm going to lay it all before you. Do not be surprised if on the way to the car you get a phone call. You get a flat tire on the way home. You get a migraine suddenly out of the middle of nowhere. You get all sorts of opposition. We have people in this room tonight who could tell you about the reality of this opposition. And the point is not to scare. The point is to realize what you're in. You see, I think we're, we're making such a grave mistake in the West. As we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was Gordon, uh, no, it was Duvall who said it. He said, in the West, in the Western church, we've taken our evangelism, our mission, as to make churches accommodating it for people as possible. And so my experience with Christianity, my experience as a follower of Jesus is just, we're trying to make it easy for people. And we're trying to say, hey, just, you know, just come. Just come. Just sit. You know, we'll give you a free coffee token when you walk in the door. Someone will call you and someone, well, you know, we'll pray for you. And here we'll give you all this information and I'll get, link you into a podcast. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. You know, you just sit here, put on this Spotify playlist, Hillsong in the background, and you just sit there and absorb the good spiritual vibes. And we try to create a Christianity that's so comfortable and accommodating, when in reality, any time a soul turns to Jesus, they're enlisting in a fight. They're signing up for a war. Every time I baptize somebody, I, I cannot tell you how often this happens. It happens so often as a pastor now, it's just a part of what I do. I tell people two, three weeks before they go into baptism, I say, I'm going to tell you, do not be surprised. Something's going to happen so you don't stand up on that stage. You don't, go, you don't get in that water. You will feel weird. You will feel uncomfortable. You'll have some sort of crisis in your life. Do not be surprised. Why? Because whenever you stand up and you get up front and you vocalize, you verbalize your faith and trust in Christ, there is opposition. John Piper said a lot of good things. One of the favorite things he ever, that, that I've ever heard him say... <laughs> He says, prayer, prayer is not an intercom for your room service. It is a wartime walkie-talkie. But we look at prayer as if it's the hotline to the front desk. And someone's already paid up the full account. And we can order whatever we want off the a la carte menu. That's what we think of prayer. But in reality, prayer is having a direct line to the captain of the Lord's army, to the Lord of hosts, to the one whose spirit is in you. The church will ultimately not be left alone. The church will triumph. Verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. 
You see, Satan can accuse all he wants, but he can't say anything (laughs) against the blood of Christ. And I think that's what Christ meant when he said it is finished. It's done. This is the final word in the argument. And so as Christians, you're exonerated. You've been released from your sentence. You don't need to justify yourself anymore. You don't need to go to God and say, well, I've been pretty good this week. Will you love me? You point to the blood. And by the word of their testimony, this is the wonderful thing, is that when you are born again and brought into the kingdom of God, suddenly the Spirit of God gives voice to the word of God in your life. Now, when it says the word of their testimony, it doesn't simply mean their, their little spiel about how they heard, about, heard the gospel. Like, that's part of it, absolutely. Everyone's got a story about how they heard the gospel and how they came to faith. That's important. But it's also anything that they say that gives witness to Jesus Christ for who he is. So it includes their preaching. It includes their prophesying. It includes their prayer, their testimony, anything that they're doing that gives witness to Jesus Christ. And put another way, the writer says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. All right, well, that brings our teaching segment to uh, a close this morning. Um, it's always a bit weird to watch yourself. <laughs> and here now I am a couple years later. I think if I, uh, if I could sort of go back and tweak one thing I, I would say, I think it's uh, in that illustration on prayer. Um, I didn't mean to diminish the fact that Christ has paid up uh, everything and that he is ready to attend to our every need. I think uh, the strength of that illustration um, is in is in the two different contexts, a context of leisure and a context of conflict. And I think that's what I was trying to pull out. So uh, by all means, let's pray. Let's pray for anything and everything uh, that the Lord might give to us. But let's remember the context that we find ourselves in. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, when you ask yourself, okay, what does, you know, what weapons, what, what things might the enemy employ to attack or to to destroy me? Uh, well, um, my sin's already been dealt with. Uh, the curse, the curse of death, has already been broken through through Jesus Christ. Uh, he can he can intimidate, but he cannot overtake the believer uh, because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit uh, as as God's own children. So what what can he do really uh, to us? And and I think uh, the biggest thing is deception. That is the biggest thing, is is to deceive and to get us to lose our confidence and to lose our trust in God. And it's times like this where, as Christians, we need to be really, really wise and discerning about the big picture. Because often if we look at just our own lives, we will see the suffering of this world. We will see uh, the intimidation and the tactics of the devil, and we'll see the weakness of our own flesh. Uh, But the the power of seeing things from God's perspective and from as uh, as Chris commented in the YouTube, the power of seeing things from from heaven's perspective uh, is to show us that the victory has been decided. And so we know 
what that outcome is. Uh, now, Jesus told us that if we bear his name, that we should expect to be treated like he was when he was on earth, uh, which means suffering. And it means um, we need to be ready for persecution. The Bible says that in the last days that the love of many will grow cold and, and there may even be false signs and, and false deception. And so uh, just to come back to something we've been studying in Luke, Jesus said to make sure, see to it that the light that is within you is not darkness. And so, you know, before you sort of close off the stream today, before you uh, depart from from this time where we're, we're, we're setting our hearts and minds on the Lord, uh, before you do that, ask yourself, is the thing that's illuminating my life, is, is the light that's coming in, is that true light or is that... Is there darkness in that? Uh, because it's hard to live. It's hard to live out in the confident uh, assurance that we ought to have as Christians uh, if the light that is coming in is not real light, but it's it's simply shades of darkness. Um, so that's the enemy's weapon. It's, it's often deception. And the aim is to get you to lose confidence in Christ, to lose confidence in the security of what he's done for you, uh, to lose confidence that you can actually trust that God is good. Um, and oftentimes he will, Satan will yell at you in the midst of your suffering, um, and, and really challenge God. Um, but the blood of Christ and the word of our testimony will overcome these things. So take some time this week, encourage your brothers and sisters. Don't just say, Hey, you know, how are you doing? I hope you feel better. Or, you know, Oh, I, you know, can I lend a hand? It's it, practical help is fantastic and it's all well and good, but we need to realize that we have a special place as a church to encourage each other spiritually to remind one another of the truths of the kingdom of God. Maybe call up a brother, sister and share that with them. Maybe call them up and say, Hey, look, let me just say that I I'm with you. We are family in Christ. And, and I see that, you know, from an earthly perspective, from a worldly perspective, it might be easy to just give in, but I want you to know I'm standing with you. I mean, could you imagine what a powerful encouragement that might be? So yes, let's love each other practically. Yes, let's support each other and do all those things. But but also don't don't forget the thing that that unites us, which is the grace that we have in Jesus, and we can encourage each other in those ways. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to sort of transition out now to. Um, uh, to some more, some, some more singing. Uh, so I encourage you to sing, sing where you're at. So we're going to sing a song that we introduced in night service a few weeks ago. It's called re-surrender. And, um, you know, regardless of, you know, your view of surrender, recent re-surrender, the, the refrain is what I want you to focus on, which is, which is that we are, we are God's people. And that just that, that declaration, we are God's people. It's not just, I am God's child. It's we, it's a collective. We are God's people. We are his children. And that's what it means to be a part of the church. And so I want you to really praise him and worship him now as we go into that song. After the song, we're going to hear a testimony. Uh, we had a special guest that night. Uh, his name was Eddie Bang. He is a pastor. Uh, he's a Korean American who's married an Australian, and he lives over here. He's going to share a bit of a testimony, uh, his reflection from that time, uh, from hearing this message on Revelation 12. I thought it was really helpful, and, and, and I hope you will too. And so after the song and after that reflection, I'll come back on and we'll give the benediction. The 
things we did at first You're clearing out the temple You're cleaning out the dirt For we are your territory Lord, we are your church We are your people
One thing I learned tonight, and this is absolutely amazing from your sermon, was I never realized, I always knew, because we were always taught at church and in seminary, that Satan has already lost and that Christ is going to come back one day. But the question I always had was, how come Christ doesn't come back now? And why is there this in-between period? And why is Satan always attacking us and all that kind of stuff? But that whole burn thing, I don't know what it was, what was it called? That burning principle? Oh, the, scorched earth. the scorched earth thing. Yeah. That, that, that to me blew me away today because... I realize that, you know, Satan really is this guy. Sorry for me. I don't mean to preach. But, <laughs> but I realize Satan really is a guy who knows he already lost. So he's going to just cause as much damage as he can. Mm -hmm. And so that makes a lot of sense to me when I think about my life because I'm like, oh, you know, I always question why do bad things always happen to me? <laughs> or why is it that I, you know, other people are more successful than I am? Why is it that all these questions and, and you know, the way Satan always seems to attack me is to give me insecurity about who I am mm -hmm. and make me doubt about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes, he makes me feel like I'm more important than Jesus. Therefore, mm -hmm. you know, my successes are always, I always see it in light of myself versus in light of the kingdom, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And I always get messed up in that way. And that's how Satan always attacks me. And I'm like, why is it always like that? And I realize if he can just mess me up, you know, and make me crash and burn, then he wins. And that's all he's about. And, but, uh, where I fail all the time is I always, I get convinced, you know, I let him convince me that I am more important than the kingdom. I am more important and my successes are that more important. And even my failures are actually more important. Look at me, look at me. You know, when I realize Satan's just doing that to destroy me because he hates Christ and, uh, that to me was like, oh, wow, I got angry, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, it, but what it made me feel like just to end it all is, I, I felt so privileged to be a part of the, the winning team, mm. even though I'll probably lose mm. personally. Mm. It's okay because mm. my team has won, I guess, mm. you know. Mm.